So the frame of mind I was in when I sat down to write this was a mixture of depression, of rage, because I didn't hurt anything. I was just in a computer I shouldn't have been. And a great deal of empathy for my friends around the nation that were also in the same situation. Pretty much the only public perception of hackers at that time was, hey, we're going to start a nuclear war or play tic-tac-toe. To another episode of Club Manifesto. My name is Joe. I'm joined as always by Sos. Uh, today we are discussing the Hacker Manifesto, uh, also known by its formal title, The Conscience of a Hacker. Uh, Hacker Manifesto was published uh, in 1986. It first appeared in uh, an electronic zine called Frack. Uh, whatever an electronic zine might have been like in, in 1986. Um, this is a, it's a relatively short manifesto. It's by far the shortest one that we've covered on the podcast, but it was and is, you know, very influential in the culture around uh, what was uh, once called computer hacking. And, uh, you know, of course, hacking itself uh, generally has been influential in terms of its effect on our economy, our culture, you know, we all feel the effects of, of hacking culture uh, for no other reason than the tech overlords that control our world and and that ultimately are responsible for the distribution of this podcast um, are pretty <laughs> much all uh, reformed hackers. Uh, and so uh, with us, with all that said, with us today to discuss this manifesto is, is a guest to the show. Eric, thank you for joining us today, Eric. Oh. Thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm excited to join you guys and, and talk about this. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you, you, Sos and I have discussed this. Uh, we we feel uh, no responsibility to provide any kind of contacts, contacts or background uh, for any guest. So you're relieved of any responsibility to explain who you are. Yeah, in true Excellent. hacker fashion, you know, you you <laughs> remain anonymous. Yeah. I know. I really, I really should have come up with like an alter ego uh, name <laughs> <laughs> for this one. Damn it! Uh, All right. Uh, so, Eric, you brought this manifesto to uh, Joe's and I's attention, and in a second, I'll ask you how you came to know about it. But before we go too far, I'd like to make a brief announcement, and that is. Uh, that any listener who might know about a manifesto just like Eric that they'd like to d see discussed on our podcast, uh, please write to us at the email address clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com. That's clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com. And uh, so, Eric... What was uh, what was it about this manifesto that made you uh, want to talk about it? That that interests you about this uh, hacker manifesto? 
Sure. So uh, aside from the the Communist Manifesto, right, that like big daddy of all mm-hmm. manifestos, um, the Hacker Manifesto is actually one that's probably stuck with me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was thinking about it, uh, this was actually like the first manifesto I ever read. Um, mm-hmm. And it probably then like colored how I understood like the genre of manifesto itself. And that's kind of weird for a number of reasons, um, which I'm sure yeah. we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to when we discuss the text itself. But like, you know, perhaps the main one is that the Hacker Manifesto doesn't really have any kind of positive program to it. Um, mm-hmm. But it does have this like heightened, uh, even kind of poetic rhetoric and a sort of explicit way of articulating an identity uh, that I found really compelling when I was 12 years old. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I, I think I first encountered it um, by downloading it off of a Juarez bot uh, in an AOL chat room in the mid-90s. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my parents had, you know, just got our first computer and hooked it up online. Um, I, you know, I, I like literally sti- d- don't don't even know what a Juarez bot is. I don't <laughs> think it's important, but I I, tru- I, I don't. And I, I was pretty into, like, I you know, I got into, like, QBasic and stuff when I was younger, but I, I still, I guess I, I wasn't enough into it to know what that is. Yeah, Juarez, I mean, Juarez is basically just, like, kind of a pirated, you know, software, and, like, uh, AOL, there used to be, like, these, um, people would kind of run these scripts that would say, like, oh, you know, put in X, you know, a certain number, and I'll send you an email with this file in it that you can oh. then download, right? And Nice. Um, and so this was, like, one of the things that was listed, so I was like, oh, yeah, I want that text file. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it's, like... Yeah, you know, so my so my parents got, you know, this computer. We had a sweet dial-up modem that I can, like, still hear sometimes uh, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and for probably, like, eight or nine months when I was 12 or 13, I became kind of infatuated with hackers. Um, mm. Now, I never, I never actually hacked anything. I never had that skill uh, <laughs> or tried to develop that knowledge at all. Um, mm-hmm. But there was something kind of, like, exciting about that persona. Uh, and then I came across the manifesto again, uh, when I watched the, uh, 1995 movie hackers, mm. uh, <laughs> where parts of the manifesto like are read in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I rented that movie from blockbuster multiple times as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I rewatched it last week, kind of in preparation for this episode for like the <laughs> first time, <laughs> rewatched it for the first time since I was a teenager. Uh, and there's a lot going on on it. Um, and it, and it actually like, syncs up pretty well with the mano with the manifesto itself um mm. so if you guys will like indulge me later i've, I've got some oh, thoughts yeah. that i can uh <laughs> yeah we'll get yeah. into that movie uh later on in the in the episode for sure yeah, yeah. well so yeah I, I have never seen that uh and i think sos doesn't remember it uh but really <laughs> the the uh, uh as as a general rule on the podcast, we try to make sure that we have relatively little uh, sophisticated understanding of anything we're talking about. So this will well, that it'll work pretty well. Though I guess you 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 will be the exception to the rule in this case. Uh, no, my 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 <laughs> knowledge is is quite limited, but I, it doesn't keep me from having opinions. Though, yeah. so. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's that's exactly the mantra of the podcast. Um, well, so, 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 I mean, so, you know, after Eric suggested this, what, was there anything about it that sort of was interesting to you? The, I mean, I assume that you were not 
previously familiar with the hacker manifesto yeah i wasn't uh familiar with it at all and um when i read it i was i, I was also kind of taken by the the language the poetic <laughs> language that mm-hmm. eric talked about and it's kind of uh and it's kind of very adolescent dramatic tone that 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 it that it has and and we'll once we read parts of the manifesto i think the listeners will see what we're talking about it mm-hmm. um and and uh, also uh part of what interests me about this manifesto is the same thing that interested me about the gnu manifesto it has uh political dimensions at work in it but they are beneath the surface they're not really explicit they're kind of hinted at um, they're kind of behind the text, and in this case, it's a kind of libertarian politics, which we will also talk about later uh, mm-hmm. in the episode. So, those are the things that that drew me to this to this text. Yeah, I I mean I I confess that I I uh, have never I've never had like a deep deep fascination with hackers, but uh, always liked pranks. And I feel like I, I don't know, Eric. Like you know, you got really into uh, into this when you were like twelve, and I, I don't know if that was in part because you had like a the sort of like devilish uh, curiosity about just uh, doing stuff people don't want you to do. But I think that that maybe was probably my first interest in hacking. And then just as a reporter, uh, I was I was always to a degree interested in hacking, uh, just like the the sort of. Um, way that it was often used uh to you know for like wikileaks type stuff uh the you know sure. it wasn't as though i was personally doing hacking or i you know i don't even know if i really ever did many stories that were uh directly a result of someone hacking into something but there's the the whole practice of uh getting at information that you're not supposed to have uh i've always found sort of uh uh alluring i guess Mm. But uh, let's so uh, when we first look at this, I thought maybe we don't know the identity of this author because they I don't believe he was initially uh, named, but uh, in the, the publication in 1986. But we do uh, now know who he was. So that the author of the Hacker Manifesto, his name is Lloyd Blankenship. Uh, also, he's known as the Mentor in uh, I guess <laughs> hacking circles or you know I think that's how he was known in in this publication uh, he's born in 1965 so he's about 57 years old now uh, he kind of looks like if uh, like if Louis CK was uh, like a retired semi-professional wrestler <laughs> uh, that's like what his if you take a look at some of his photos that's sort of what he looks like um, so he's a computer hacker, he's a writer, um, he's been active in hacking groups uh, since the 70s. Uh, he was a member of, I guess, what must have been some significant uh, sort of hacking-related groups called Ecstasy Elite and Legion of Doom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Ecstasy and then, <laughs> Elite, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I just gloss right over that, but I, it's, it's kind of, kind of uh, note, noteworthy, I guess. Uh, and then he wrote the Hacker Manifesto when he was uh, just uh, 21 years old. So in his own words, this is what uh, Lloyd, we're on a first name basis with him. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is how Lloyd got started in the, in the world of hacking and computing. Uh, he says, quote, 
We moved from Austin right before the summer between my fifth and sixth grade years of school, early 1976, when I got to San Marcos. I don't know, I didn't know anyone and started hanging out with the Southwest Texas State U and started hanging out at Southwest Texas State University computer lab in the college library. It was populated by uh, PET tens, compu colors, and some early Apple II machines. I mostly played games on them, artillery, etc. The place my mom worked had a giant PDP mainframe and I got to meet some of the um sysops. I'm not sure what that what that means there. System operator, I assume. Oh damn. Nice Joe. They showed me a game called Star Trek on it that I loved. I got them to print out the basic source code for it, and I taught myself basic by porting it over to CompuColors. And uh, one article we read preparing for this uh, uh, for this episode mentions that uh, Lloyd was actually in a pretty privileged position to even have access to such hardware in the 1970s. Uh, In the article, Hacking and Philosophy, the author points out, This account seems to place him in an upper-middle-class demographic. Uh, He has access not only to university computer equipment, but machines at his mother's job. Further, he owned his own computer at the age of 14 or 15. Think globally. How many people had access to a computer in the 70s and 80s? Here's a better question. How many people had access to electricity and running water in the 70s or today? So that's just something uh, worth thinking about because uh, 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 this kind of blindness to his own uh, to his own privilege kind of comes up actually in the in the manifesto. Yeah. uh, Eric, do you. I, I don't know, did you have any sense for who uh, the author was when you were kind of uh, getting obsessed with hacking when you were younger? Did you ever learn anything about uh, The Mentor? No, I I didn't. And also the fact that I wasn't curious about that at all also is, is <laughs> interesting in its own right. Uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, really, I, I was... Uh, already a, a new critic without realizing it just you know excising <laughs> the text of all uh, authorial <laughs> or contextual <laughs> the author's yeah. dead okay yeah. as far as you're concerned the author's dead that's right <laughs> well i mean he also i mean went out of his way to not be identified so uh, you know mm. you would be forgiven for not having spent too much time trying to figure out who he was unless you were planning to do some deep uh, in-depth investigation um but he, I mean, he's not an exceptionally public figure any still. I mean, uh, so we don't know a ton about his life story um, besides, you know, what, what kind of pops up in some Internet forums here or there. Um, he did apparently get busted for hacking a couple of times. We'll talk about one of those in a little more depth. Um, but the first one, he got in trouble for something in the mid 1980s. Um, and it was after he got in trouble he was apparently like precluded from from hacking for a while, and that's when he he wrote the the hacker manifesto. So uh, here's another quote from Lloyd, <clears throat> referring to how he got arrested for hacking and how hackers are perceived. This is one of the events that inspired uh, writing the manifesto. I was just in a computer I shouldn't have been. 
and had a great deal of empathy for my friends around the nation that were also in the same situation. This was post-War Games, the movie, so pretty much the only public perception of hackers at the time was, hey, we're going to start a nuclear war, or play tic-tac-toe, or one of the two. So I decided I would try to write, and uh, what I really felt was the essence of what we were doing, and why we were doing it. Lloyd uh, quit hacking altogether in 1990. Uh, he says... Uh, when I put up the Phoenix project, I knew I had to stop. I was running the highest profile and best hacking BBS in the world. That's I bulletin board system, by the way. Bulletin BBS. board system, that's right. I knew I'd be watched. I was also at the point where a lot of the original challenge was gone. Our phone gurus owned every phone network in the country. There was nowhere to go but down. Nowhere to go but down. Lloyd was at the top of the world. <laughs> Looking down, he thought, oh, there's nowhere to go but down. Best, best to bail out. Yeah, it's lonely at the top. <laughs> lonely Lloyd. Uh, Somewhere on the wild Are numbers of black and white Computers run them over the line And the wires are right I offered you my loving I offered you my mind But it's a thing I told you that another man would want you anytime In the computer Love affair would have you Any other would want you so badly Yeah, so the Phoenix Project, uh, I mean, it... It is kind of interesting, uh, like, obviously, I, I don't really have much uh, understanding of the, the importance of a bulletin board system at that time, I guess, but it, he was clearly, as, as he said, he felt like he was really, like, at the top of the world. He was, like, getting, uh, getting done what he wanted to get done. He was hosting this thing, like, from his, his house in Austin, um, it was one of the most infamous bulletin board systems, reportedly, of that era. Um, also infamous because it ultimately got him uh, involved, him and his employer at the time, involved in this notorious legal case that, like, I don't know, I, di I didn't dig into everything about this, but it ultimately helped lead to the founding of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, reportedly. Um, I'm just going to do just a, a little bit of background but there's this legal case involving uh, Steve Jackson Games Incorporated, which uh, must have been, I don't know if that's a thing people would have known about, uh, uh, like if that was like a popular game thing in the, in the 80s or what. But um, so what happens here in this legal case is that uh, there's this 911 document uh, that somehow Lloyd gets his hands on in February of 1990, and he publishes it uh, on FRAC, uh, or it's published in FRAC, 
Um, but then also it shows up in the Phoenix project. Like I, I still, as much as I've looked into this, I cannot figure out why this is a interesting document, but it, it somehow gives people information about the 911 system, which maybe at that time was like really a real source of curiosity. I don't know. Um, but although it was it, like, I guess it was available on multiple bulletin boards, but the phone company, uh, the name of which I can't remember, uh, they're pissed that their 911 document was hacked and put up on these bulletin boards. So they go to the Secret Service, and the Secret Service begins investigating Lloyd. Uh, and, you know, so Lloyd, I guess, has he's been arrested before. He's got this high-profile uh, bulletin board. So the... Secret Service gets a search warrant, raids Lloyd's house, raids his workplace, this Steve Jackson Games place, takes uh, documents, equipment, computers. Apparently, he'd been working on some kind of uh, video game that was, I, I don't know if it was highly anticipated or, or what, but uh, it was, uh, they took all of that stuff. Um, turns out there's like really no incriminating evidence on it. Uh, and, and Steve Jackson, the guy who runs this game company, you know, tries to get the computer back uh, and ends up having to sue. So that's, I mean, there there's a whole, like, back and forth, and it makes its way into a, a federal court. Um, and I guess somehow at the end, like, the judge awards, if I remember, like, some pittance, like, gives them, like, a few thousand bucks uh, after they've gone through all of this. But Lloyd uh, never gets his... He never gets the Phoenix Project computer back, and I don't think he ever gets his uh, his uh, video game back either. So he was involved, you know, Lloyd, the mentor, the author of the Hacker Manifesto, was involved in a somewhat important high-profile uh, legal case on top of uh, everything else in his uh, in his background. Yeah, I wonder how much and what kind of porn he had on that com- computer <laughs> when they uh, when the Secret Service took it away from him. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the, I don't know what kind of uh, video capacity one of those things had in in like 1990. Mm. Be very or, low pixel uh, quality would be. My yeah, guess, I'm so. thinking of like, uh, yeah, low pixel quality pictures of mm-hmm. of um, you know uh, Cindy Crawford or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, it might have been more like the equivalent of like if uh, Super Mario Brothers like had had a naked lady in it. <laughs> Probably something like that. I mean, that's basically the first Leisure Suit Larry, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah, that's a throwback. Uh huh. So, um, you know, hacking in the 70s, 80s, uh, obviously different from what we envision as far as hacking now. Um, You know, it was obviously a lot more low tech. Um, So, we did a little research for this episode just looking at how this was discussed back in the 80s and 90s how what people thought hacking was and found a a somewhat enlightening profile of a hacker who um i don't know if the hacker purposely used this pseudonym or if this was the author of this particular article from a like magazine at western washington university but the guy ends up going by the name data rapist (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Data Rapist describes himself as a, quote, phone freak 
the the f sound in all this shit is always spelled with a ph um phone freak meaning a hacker who specializes in manipulating telephone companies to achieve uh, whatever his goals are um and his goals are as simple as free phone calls uh sometimes services or sometimes he's trying to shut down like an entire area code uh in new york city so here's from the uh here's from the uh that article and it just kind of like demonstrates the the relatively like low tech uh version of hacking that was going on at this time the simplest kind of phone freaking is to steal telephone access codes the easiest way to steal a code is shoulder surfing, which is simply looking over someone's shoulder at a payphone. As technology advanced, it became possible to program computers to try random code numbers over the telephone until one of them worked. This type of computerized code theft was commonly used until the late 1980s when improved security measures enabled authorities to trace suspicious dialing. Uh, another method of getting information is to manipulate people into telling what they know or what they called at the time social engineering. And then they quote uh, Data Rapist. I guess the, the author must have listened to him doing one of these social engineering calls. Hi, this is GTE Maintenance, and I need a connection to something. And then uh, Data Rapist uh, you know, says this. The official uh, responds, and then after rattling off a few lines of phone company jargon, uh, data rapist gets what he's looking for. So it, it's like a, a sort of just a con job, basically. Uh, and I, obviously there's an amount of that that exists in hacking that we think of today, but I guess it kind of just struck me how much it was just like basic uh, theft uh, uh, in a way at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that's lacking uh, uh, in, in today's uh, uh, you know, world of, of, of hackers there's no, there's no social component. You don't, you know, you, you can't, you can't, uh, these, uh, everyone's stuck behind a, a computer instead of, uh, well, conning I a mean, person out of their grandma's those phone skills? number. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you say that, but I, I mean, I don't know if this really counts as a hacker or not. Well, I guess it does, but you know, like the, I don't know if either of you have had, uh, a, you know, friend or relative or whatever who got their Facebook account hacked and then suddenly you're getting an e like a message from mm. like, you know, I've had multiple of my relatives who got their, their shit hacked, and now I'm getting a, a message that's like, hey, Joe, how are you doing? And then if I respond, I, I, I had this happen, I respond, I'm like, oh, pretty pretty well, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good, uh, just like counting my money, and then, you know, goes into this <laughs> thing where she's like trying to, <laughs> suddenly, my, suddenly my Aunt Eva, who like barely uses Facebook, is trying to convince me to like get into crypto. Um, <laughs> But yeah. there's an amount. There's clearly an amount of like uh, social stuff going on there. I, I got a thing like that once where a friend, a mutual friend of ours, Joe, had a had a Instagram story about how he struck it rich uh, trading crypto, and and I thought, holy mm -hmm. shit, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> but turns yeah. out, you know, he's as poor as ever. <laughs> mm. One of, one of the most uh, uncanny versions of that I got was uh, an email coming from my grandfather's account uh, trying to get me interested in hardwood floors three years <laughs> after he had died. <laughs> so it was like, 
it, it was like the fucking like digital ghost of my grandfather trying to sell me shit and yeah. uh, hardwood was, floors was, too of all things. I know, I know. Eric, I have a very important message for you. <laughs> He was, you know, he was into woodworking. So at least if they're gonna, if they're gonna wow. go someplace, it's something he might appreciate, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the world of hacking has has morphed a lot in uh, uh, through the years. Uh, I bet there wasn't much shoulder surfing going on in the movie Hackers, though. Uh, <laughs> the the nineteen ninety five film that kind of uh, uh, dramatized uh, uh, the world of hacking. One of the huge misconceptions about hacking in that in that movie is how uh, fast-paced and cool hackers are, whereas in real life, <laughs> hacking is a slow and tedious process, and there's nothing sexy about it. There's no leather jackets. There's no Angelina Jolie, that's for sure. And um, I don't know anything about hacking, but I'm sure all that stuff I just said is true. Uh, uh, but Eric, what are what are some of uh, some of your uh, thoughts on on the movie Hackers? All right. Um, so you know, Joe, since you haven't seen it, uh, and so since you don't remember too much about it, I'll, I'll give a, a sort of brief uh, a brief kind of thumbnail sketch of uh, of the plot. So basically, the the film starts in the mid '80s uh, with like this ten year old kid getting busted for crashing over a thousand computers. Uh, and then getting sentenced to probation where he can't use a computer until his 18th birthday. Um, so then we skip ahead to the present day of like the mid 1990s. And that kid uh, played by Johnny Lee Miller um, and his mom have just moved to New York city. Uh, and he turns 18 and like goes right back into hacking. Um, so then he's starts to uh, attend this new school where he meets up with a cool group of other high school hackers, uh, which include Angelina Jolie uh, and Matthew Lillard, uh, and basically uh -huh. hijinks ensue. Uh, mm -hmm. So a lot of the early stuff <laughs> is more kind of like uh, pranks, uh, mm -hmm. but then it becomes more serious, um, especially uh, basically the kind of main plot of the film ultimately revolves around the hackers discovering uh, a worm program that's being used to steal money from an oil company. Uh, the main villain is basically an ex-hacker who runs the computer systems for that company and who made the worm to like embezzle millions. Um, and basically the, the protagonist hackers, uh, are then being kind of set up to take the fall for this, uh, and they have to kind of find a way to, to fight back. Um, so, so stealing from an oil company, a victimless crime, really? Uh, it, yeah. it seems to be, although the, the sort of, uh, fake virus that the ex-hacker uses to kind of cover up the worm and which he tries to say the hackers are the ones who, uh, kind of implanted in the system, mm. uh, is basically set up to capsize oil tankers. <laughs> so there's a kind of like ecological disaster waiting to happen. I see. Um, so this is uh, CIA propaganda. It's, is what you're saying. Uh, you know, it could, it could very well be. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of like really interesting tensions within the film um, that I think are kind of symptomatic of like the weird cultural and ideological space that uh, hackers kind of seem to occupy. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that like really struck out uh, or sorry, stuck out to me uh, on rewatching uh, is how the film is like uh, so much about uh, the hacking. Uh, hacking is like a community. So the main characters are constantly hanging out, going to parties and clubs. Uh, it has this very like 
90s New York club kid aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's really interesting how many of the, in the hacking community within the film are queer coded. Um, and I don't, okay. I don't really have any read on that, but it definitely stood out to me in this rewatch. Um, mm-hmm. but I think like the, the kind of like enticing fantasy of the film and probably, you know, if I'm being honest, part of what it's appeal to me was, as like a lonely 12 year old, uh, is that, you know, hacking gets you into a cool subculture where you get to hang out and pull fun pranks and do uh, transgressive, slightly dangerous stuff, uh, you know, with your wacky and sexy friends. And, uh, <laughs> that, and that is I'm basically, here, that's all that 12-year-old me wanted. I know, right, exactly. <laughs> that's and, all current me wants. <laughs> I know, and, and you know, and uh, the film's got, you know, just the the absolute smoke show, Matthew Lillard. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just, uh, mm. he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but even though, so I guess uh, as the tension comes across, right, even though there's like this like appeal to community, um, it's also a community that's like based primarily on a kind of like arch individualism. So the characters are like always trying to one up on one another, uh, to prove to one another, like how elite they are. Um, and they're pretty much all driven by ego rather than any kind of ideology. There's uh, a kind of like barely hidden insecurity and a need for recognition. Um, this like desire to assert their individual, you know, greatness or skill or intelligence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, you know, the uh, Fisher Stevens who plays the ex hacker villain, um, and who absolutely just like choose the scenery in this movie. It's fucking great. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. Uh, quite entertaining. Um, but he explicitly compares like the hacker to like the cowboy and then how everyone else is just cattle, right? There to be kind Ooh. of herded and manipulated mm-hmm. by the hackers. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that, then, that's like, pretty much, uh, that's what crypto guys basically do now, right? I mean, they're, they're <laughs> like, I guess the hackers of today or whatever. I feel like that's, yeah. they're, they're, they're the cowboys of today. It certainly has that, uh, that kind of mentality and like the, mm-hmm. and then the film sort of like, then reinforces that dynamic in loads of ways, right? Like basically the the cops, the heads of the companies, the, you know, uh, the school where they're at are basically all kind of pawns to be played by the hackers uh, kind of on each side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's funny in a, in a very sort of 90s touch too, it's like we even get that sort of visually where the hackers all move around the city on rollerblades, kind of like moving in and out of traffic, uh, rigging traffic lights, you know, they're kind of like displaying this like height of individual mobility and skill while all the other suckers are, you know, stuck in their cars or on foot. Um, <laughs> and then, and, and as so said, like, it's one of the things that's really funny about the film is like, it's the, the camera work and the aesthetics are like so dynamic and over the top uh, for in, in terms of like, then the actual action is just like people at a keyboard typing, <laughs> uh, but right. The camera's like circling around them and you get that, mm-hmm. that sort of like intensity. Um, mm-hmm. so the, the, the climax of the film though, right? Like, uh, basically involves the, the main hacker characters working as a team, right. Instead of competing with one another, uh, and then getting help from hackers around the world. There's even like a hackers of the world unite call to action, which, uh, oh. you know, is a, is a nice touch. Um, you know, so on the one hand, there's like this like collective action that's required to succeed, but on the other, when it shows those hackers of the world uniting, they're all these isolated individuals, um, just, you know, from Japan or Latin America or what have you, um, right. There's just still a sense that like 
Oh, but these are still like the elite cowboys among the cattle. Mm. Um, and so there's like this kind of like, you know, kind of inchoate ideology in both the the film and the hacker community at large, right? This desire for, they talk a little bit about it in the film, but it's not, uh, it's not a big piece of it. But this, you know, seeming desire for a kind of like free access to information um, but also this recognition that like information is power and that it can be commodified. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, ultimately like they don't actually want the information to be free, right? Because it's like the barriers to that information, uh, the fact that it is so guarded, like those barriers are what allow the hackers to test themselves against it, right? Allow them to like overcome those barriers. Well, that's well, that's uh, where they get their power, right? I mean, if it, if it was totally it, free. Yeah, exactly. And so the the sort of ideology of of oh, well we're, you know, we want to open this up or we want this to be shared. Um right, ultimately seems just kind of like a uh just a sort of ideological justification for what you want to do rather than mm-hmm. an actual kind of motivating uh motivating piece. For for some reason, what's really coming to my mind is uh, the the experience of like the uh, like every school that I feel like I was at when I was younger. There was always like one like computer guy, like who whose job was like to be like the computer dude. And I don't know if he was always, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you guys had those or not. But uh, he his job was of course he would come over and like uh, it was actually sometimes a computer lady too. I, I shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't be discriminatory. No, they're computer um, guys. Well, they're, they're, uh, the person in my head is actually a computer lady. Uh, oh, okay. But she she would come over and and like help you out uh, when you had a, a computer problem. Um, but and, and there was always this air of like, God damn it! If you guys could just figure this out on your own, I wouldn't have to always come over and help you. You know, so, but. A budding IT professional uh, yeah. already. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I don't know why those people are so bitchy. Like that's why they have a job. Is is your well, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying is that like that's what gives them all of their power is your stupidity. But there's also this. Fr- they're kind of like, well, I want you all to learn this because I I really want you all to know it, and then you can figure it out for yourself. It's like, eh, not really though, right? You kind of yeah. That's it. like that one time I went into a bank and I was depositing a check at a bank, and the bank teller was annoyed, and he was like, you know, you could just deposit this check in the at, at the ATM, and I'm thinking, yeah, if I did that, you wouldn't have a fucking job anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, these people don't realize they're sawing off the branch they're standing on. Yeah, but these hackers in this what sounds like is an incredible movie. I mean, you've really, uh, <laughs> you really, you've really sold me on the quality it's, of this movie that I have never watched. I, uh, I, I will say, I, I, I'd certainly enjoyed it for not having seen it for you know whatever twenty five years. Uh, it was surprisingly enjoyable. It's not like I won't say it's good because it's not, it's not, mm-hmm. but it's. It's at least, uh, it's got its charms.
that was a great synopsis and reading of the movie, Eric, and that's why adult Eric likes the movie, but I can guess why the 12-year-old <laughs> Eric liked the movie, and that's and that's the only thing Sosa remembers about the movie, <laughs> having watched it years ago, and that's Angelina Jolie having a little uh, uh, a nipple action uh, in, the, in, the, in the film, and, and that's, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a budding 12-year-old, that must have had an effect on you. Yeah, no, there was, there was certainly a fair amount of, uh, you know, fast forwarding and rewinding, trying to isolate, uh, you know, that, that very brief glimpse of an areola, uh, but I, I, I can confirm on rewatching that, that, that wasn't just a figment of my 12 year old imagination. There actually is. Yeah. Every everything uh, everything anyone could want is in that film. So uh, go watch <laughs> Hackers if you haven't seen yeah. it. <laughs> well, I'd imagine that uh, in my my imagination anyway, Lloyd probably also did a little fast forwarding and rewinding <laughs> in that part of the movie. Uh, so uh, let's get to uh, the manifesto uh, itself, or at least a little bit of background on it. Um, Lloyd, uh, again, wrote this, um, you know, after he was arrested uh, in the middle, uh, sometime in the mid-80s, which he had to take a little break from hacking. Um, He described himself as being in a hacking withdrawal um, and also uh, credited the book uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress as inspiration. Um, Are you... uh, Eric, are you at all familiar with the moon is a is a harsh mistress? Uh, I am not. I've I've heard of it, but I I don't know much about it. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I I don't either. It sounds uh you know interesting enough. A science fiction novel from '66, um, but that science fiction novel was like it, it's credited with with sort of uh, inspiring some libertarian discussions, like libertarian ideals in the context of a of a of a penal colony on the moon. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it reportedly had the first printed appearance of the phrase, there's no free lunch. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Lloyd, so that's what Lloyd was reading as he wrote this manifesto. Uh, and he said at the time that he was quote, very taken with the idea of revolution. That was where he was, uh, that's where his, his head, uh, was at. So you you kind of like hinted at this uh, or, or really discussed it a little bit earlier, uh, Eric. But like, I mean, in your mind, do you link hacker culture with libertarianism? Yeah, I I think in in many cases it has uh, it has a very sort of strong libertarian ethos. Um, right there's that like assertion of the individual often amidst kind of failed social institutions, right? Like uh, the government or big corporations, or as we'll, you know, see in the manifesto itself, uh, schools, you mm-hmm. know, these, um, that it's like uh, an individual defining themselves against that. Um, the notions of freedom that are usually evoked to are often you know, they're, they're individual rather than collective freedom. Um, and often mm-hmm. it's like this, you know, kind of desire, uh, for you as an individual to kind of do what you want without there being legal repercussions to it. <laughs> um, and, and I think in that too, uh, you know, as, as, as you see in the film, 
Um, and as you'll, you'll see a bit in the kind of like rhetorical moves of the manifesto itself, there's a kind of like meritocratic fantasy, mm. right. That's at work. Um, that's also one that, you know, as, uh, so as you, as you pointed out earlier, seems like to be unable to kind of see the material resources that it relies on and which makes it's like success possible. Right. Um, uh, right. But it's like, uh, you know, so much of hacking again, it seems to be about proving your own individual skill or ingenuity or intelligence and being able to, you know, solve these problems or to get past, uh, the sort of barriers that these systems have put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, yes. it, it, I mean, it's interesting cause like, uh, as we discussed earlier, without the barriers, the like the prowess of the hacker is really kind of irrelevant um but i guess you could say the same thing about uh, like libertarian yeah uh, every little hacker and just like every little libertarian imagines themselves to be like a john galt kind of figure you know just striding above everybody and 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 you know uh uh being a, a kind of ubermensch among mm-hmm. among ants or something like that Mm-hmm. My my knowledge of libertarianism is like uh, doesn't extend a lot further than my memory of voting for a Michael uh, Bednarik for president in two thousand and four. I don't know if you guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little deep cut there. I don't know if you guys remember that, but uh, not at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember uh, the movie Hackers more than I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael Bednarik. But in in fairness to me, uh, David Cobb wasn't on the wasn't on the, of the Green Party wasn't on the ticket. So mm-hmm. shout out to all the David Cobb fans out there. Yeah, Joe um, Joe hasn't <laughs> voted for a Republican or Democrat since uh, since he could vote. I'm I think. Uh, yeah, but I I started out first presidential election Michael Bednarik. That's why I remember it. <laughs> He he was like he was one of the, like I didn't know this at the time or I I, I don't know if I even was paying much attention but uh, he's one of those like uh, you don't need driver's license guys so <laughs> nice uh, anyway um so so do you want to read the the first lines of the manifesto yeah so uh, now we're gonna jump into to the actual text of the manifesto and in club manifesto tradition we uh, we read the first lines. Another one got caught today. It's all over the papers. Teenager arrested in computer crime scandal. Hacker arrested after bank tampering. Damn kids. They're all alike. You bet your ass we're all alike. We've got spoon-fed baby food at school, and we hungered for steak. The bits of meat that you did let slip through were pre-chewed and tasteless. We've been dominated by sadists or ignored by the apathetic. The few that had something to teach found us willing pupils, but those few are like drops of water in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> like drops of water in the desert. <laughs> so so the tone of the uh, of, of this piece comes across like a brooding teenager and he wasn't really that much past his teens like he, he was 21 when he wrote this mm-hmm. um so um there's there's this like voice that's resentful and mad at, mad at the world for not getting him and for not understanding him and for not understanding 
And by him, I mean the mentor, not Lloyd Blankenship, you know? He seems to be identifying as a hacker pretty deeply here. And um, another interesting thing about about this kind of text is that there's moments of sarcastic parody, you know, saying damn kids, they're all alike. Like he, he, without, without any announcement to the reader, he just inhabits the voice of the, of the people who are, who are persecuting him and, and, um, and, and belittling him. So it's a, it's a, so it's that, it's that kind of, tone that he takes that that kind of is is interesting here mm-hmm. yeah he's really like uh, i mean what struck me is that uh it it sounds like he's making an excuse kind of you know like mm. uh you know yeah, yeah you, you think we're doing is wrong but like here's here's the reason why we did it and we'll get more he there, there's more to it as it goes on um as far as justification stuff you know but He's saying, you know, we want a juicy steak. Uh, you gave us something else. You know, we were thirsty. You just gave us a few drops out here in the desert. Um, but obviously what he could have done instead was say that we're not wrong. We're not hurting anybody. Um, mm. You know, we're we're uh, totally justified. Or, or not only that we're justified, but that, that, that there's nothing wrong about what we're doing. You know, um, like I remember this guy uh, in and Carbondale once who really made an impression on me, uh, this old guy who was like picking up cans, he's a, a, a guy I knew, um, was like picking up cans along the road uh, and and mentioned to me the, this phrase, a man can live off the leavings of America. And uh, obviously that's like not necessarily really true for any one person day to day, but there's like, obviously there is like this sort of surplus, there's this excess, all this stuff that's left unused. Um, and that's to me that, that there's some of this stuff in hacking you could uh, justify by just saying all this shit's just sitting out here. What do you, wh- why not use it? Well, that's um, that's connected to like Lloyd's privilege, right? Like he was using computers that were just sitting there at the computer lab that no one was using at his uh, mm-hmm. at the university, you know, or his mom's workplace or something like that. It's mm-hmm. uh, just him having access to it. Uh, uh, was kind of um, that's something that not everyone had, but it was stuff that was not being used at first, at least not at the mm-hmm. moment. He's just a kid, curious and exploring. Well, I mean, like it, right now, we think about him, we're like, oh, what a privilege. But I would guess that your average like kid for sure, but a lot of people at that time would not have thought of it as a privilege to sit in a computer lab for a long period mm. of time. <laughs> In fact, they would have thought of it as a punishment. <laughs> yeah, That's I mean, true. seriously, I, I I would guess a lot of people probably would. I I remember, I mean, my first experience with going to a computer lab was similarly because my my dad, well, both my parents were teachers, but my dad was a high school teacher, and there was a a new like computer lab at the school, and they had just gotten the internet, and I remember like he was he had to just go there to do work. Like, uh, I, I can't remember why. He was, and so he's like, you guys can just go there and sit in the computer lab, which uh, was what I thought of as, like, punishment. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I got to look at NBA.com, which was uh, <laughs> nice. pretty fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I think my, my first experience with computers was also 
probably like an elementary school computer lab uh, where we played Oregon Trail and mm -hmm. uh, learned to type things, yeah, I guess, in yeah. very sort of rudimentary, uh, you know, word processing programs. And that was... Do you have, uh, do you have Mavis Beacon ever? Uh, no? No. I don't even know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, well, yeah, that, that, that figures that that's not like a... Now I think of every computerized thing as like, oh, it's all universal, but probably at the time the stuff was a little more, uh, you know, particularized. Uh, but yeah, I think of Mavis Beacon as a thing that everyone must have had, but I think just everyone in Totopolis School District Unit 50 had it. <laughs> um, but so I, I want to give uh, a brief example from that article that I mentioned earlier about... Uh, the guy who, uh, you know, uh, somewhat unfortunately was provided the pseudonym uh, data rapist, um, which again was written in 1993. So it's covering like a lot of vari a variety of methods used by hackers uh, beginning, you know, in the 70s. Um, and in that article, you know, they talked about this scam called, I think, blue boxing or something where hackers would basically manipulate telephone company like switching systems. And they're just doing it so they can make free long distance calls. Like, uh, and, and the article says that for a lot of hackers, uh, this quote was scarcely perceived as theft, but rather as fun, if sneaky, as a way to use excess phone capacity harmlessly. After all, the long distance lines were just sitting there. Whom did it hurt, really, if you're not damaging the system and you're not using up any tangible resource? And if nobody finds out what you did, then what real harm have you done? What exactly have you stolen anyway? If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, how much is the noise worth? So anyway, I just say that to, to mention that like, there are obviously there are different uh, components to hacking, but some of it is just using shit that's just sitting out there that nobody, nobody cares about. Like that, you know? can, like that guy picking up cans in Carbondale. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess like Eric, when you got fascinated ab about it when you were younger, do you think it? You think you were fascinated because? Well, do you think you were fascinated in the component of hacking that was like kind of fucking with people, or the kind that was just uh, sort of using up excess supply? Uh. It, definitely not using up excess supply. <laughs> I don't think I. <laughs> I don't think I would have uh, registered it in that way. Like I. I think. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, maybe fucking with people to some degree. Uh, although I, you know, I was I was a quite well behaved kid for the most part, and mm -hmm. uh, and so even if I were to fuck with people, and I'm sure it would be in a pretty benign uh, manner. But I th mm -hmm. think the the idea of having, of doing a certain kind of uh, transgressive problem solving that, mm. um, you know, as a way of, of, of sort of proving yourself and, uh, you know, and I, and I think like there's, I mean, one of the things like within the manifesto, right, he's, um, if I can read a, 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 another little part of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right, he's saying, and this is like the second paragraph, um, you know, but did you and your three-piece psychology and 1950s techno brain ever take a look behind the eyes of a hacker 
Did you ever wonder what made him tick, what forces shaped him, what have molded him, what may have molded him? I'm a hacker, enter my world. Mine is a world that begins with school. I'm smarter than most of the other kids. This crap they teach us bores me. Damn underachiever, they're all alike. Right, I'm in junior high or high school. I've listened to teachers explain for the 50th time uh, how to reduce a fraction. I understand it. No, Mrs. Smith, I didn't show my work. I did it in my head. Damn kid, probably copied it. They're all alike. Right, this this experience of a uh, kind of smarter than average, you know, uh, teenager being sort of bored at school. Um, although I was, I was probably bored less at school than most other <laughs> most other people. Mm-hmm. But I certainly related to it, and I think um, of the things that sort of drew this, you know, uh, drew me to this manifesto when I was, you know, when I was that age. It was the articulation of that kind of experience of um both feeling that you're sort of above something um but then uh and and kind of alienated um you know from mm-hmm. it at the same time uh you i mean you were getting a little of the juicy steak but you recognized that you had an appetite for a lot of juicy steak <laughs> i i did yeah. you know uh, although yeah. honestly, uh, I don't know if I appreciated steak at twelve. It was really more like yeah. I wanted more of that hot dog, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe. Why are they only a foot long? These the why biggest is, hot dogs. <laughs> why not why two is, feet? <laughs> why is this a six-piece chicken nugget instead of a twenty-piece? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want a little more of that uh, microwaved bologna and cheese sandwich. That's what I was eating when I was that age. Um, so. This theme of intellectual isolation seems to really uh, be common with people. They feel like they're the only people in their schools that, you know, have a brain. And uh, it's not necessarily social isolation. You know, I played football, I dated cheerleaders, I had a great time in school. I just didn't learn anything, uh, which actually came back to bite me later when I started trying to get my computer science times in the manifesto and you know lloyd himself was a was a college dropout and uh like he he obviously was a smart guy who knew more than probably what the report card showed you know and um hackers in many ways are a product of 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 the failures of a of a public school system and I, uh, I wonder if this is the kind of thing that drove Lloyd and, and people like him towards libertarianism, to see the failings of, of public institutions and to kind of think, well, you know, this, this kind of the, the cowboy mentality in libertarianism as it ex, it's expressed in the, in, the, in the free market, it's, it's um, 
the 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 failure of schools is one of the things that kind of unconsciously or semi-consciously drove him towards the 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 kind of more free market kind of mentality and because publicly funded endeavors like schools don't seem as worthwhile as as, as kind of private ventures and uh, this is a good time to plug our last episode uh, on Club Manifesto on the Broad Memo. If you want to know more about the failures of public education and what's what's causing it to fail, it's no accident, charter schools and so on, uh, listen to that and uh, stop whatever you're doing right now and go and listen to that episode. What, whatever you're doing right point. now, which is listening to this episode. Yeah, stop listening. I mean... Stop listening to this episode. <laughs> go back... Listen to the other one, then come back. And then come back. You're, you're going to want to listen to the last one before you get to this one. Yeah, yeah I'm. I think I'm. I'm assuming we have diehard fans. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and probably probably watch hackers in there too. Yeah, and yeah, go yeah. watch yeah. hackers. Come back to this. Yeah. Just put aside a good five hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you're done with all of that, then come back. But don't don't come back before that. And email yeah. us at Club Manifesto 420. <laughs> Tell us what you thought about all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah well okay so i mean are you you're basically saying that you you feel like the uh the, the fact that these kids aren't like challenged enough in a way uh causes them to be interested in in libertarianism because they're seeing the failure of of government yeah or, or not challenged in a way that they that they want to be challenged or or just being inside of a school is no matter how much you challenge them they don't like being challenged by a school system or something like that or that kind of structure mm -hmm. it's it's a there, there's something going on i'm not quite sure what it is exactly but they're slipping through the cracks it's not it's not clicking with them because like when i was in school i liked school uh i didn't i didn't i never understood as as a kid now i understand it as an adult but as a kid i was like why don't people like school why aren't people listening to the teachers like they're everything's fine you know uh, uh from uh that that's that that was my naivete at the time so it's it's um it's it's just a thing that you can't explain just like i couldn't explain then why i liked school i'm i'm sure if you ask a kid why don't you like school they don't they don't know why they don't like school uh, uh, either but i mean did did you not feel kind of roped in at all like that the you know i'm sure you were like uh you know like probably an aggressive like reader and stuff you not did you not were you not annoyed by like the shit that you were assigned to read and some of the assignments you had and the way you were forced to spend your time that none of that stuff ever bothered you uh no because i had a relationship with authority figures then that that i don't anymore where i thought people in positions of authority like there was actually something behind it you know like i'm not doing this I didn't feel roped in because I'm like this is this is this is purposeful in some way. This is all leading to something and and we're all in school and in life on on that track together. And um uh and and that was and that, and that's not correct. That's not how education works or that's not how school works, but I I was under the impression uh that that when when a teacher told you something that that authority is justified, even though I couldn't understand what justified it. 
I was what That's... you would call a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I totally relate to that, uh, that dispositions. <laughs> so that's right. And, and in some ways, like I, I, I took kind of a similar attitude when, when like reading, uh, novels or any other kind of text of like, assuming that the author has some kind of knowledge that I don't right the the right. sort of uh you know authority and it's and it's my job to kind of figure out what that is and right. uh uh and to take it up um and I think there's um if I can read like another little section because I think it it sort of mm-hmm. s- speaks to this kind of interesting yeah. relation um right he says uh I made a discovery today I found a computer wait a second this is cool it does what I want it to if it makes a mistake, it's because I screwed it up, not because it doesn't like me or feels threatened by me or thinks I'm a smart ass or doesn't like teaching and shouldn't be here. Damn kid. All he does is play games. They're all alike. And that mm-hmm. that sort of move, right, of that kind of like antagonistic relation to authority, mm-hmm. um, but also like the, the sort of assumption of like, oh, my teachers don't like me because they feel threatened by me or because I'm a smart ass or because they mm-hmm. don't actually like doing their jobs. Um, and I think that sort of move, that kind of skepticism of authority, but also a skepticism that seems to not be particularly self-critical, right? That like, isn't, uh, mm. isn't necessarily thinking about like, Oh, well, if my teacher's antagonistic towards me, uh, maybe it's because I am kind of a little dipshit and <laughs> yeah. not, uh, right. Or, or if this stuff seems easy, but I don't want to put the work in. And so I'm not demonstrating, you know, I'm not demonstrating that work. Right. I'm not, uh, uh, that there's no, there's no real effort to, to be critical about his own position in relation to that authority. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're, uh, if you're a little dipshit, then you're probably not going to be very reflective about what a little dipshit you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And honestly, like that, that that's also where it kind of drives with a certain kind of libertarianism is that it's like it, it uh doesn't it's you know you have a yeah a sort of skepticism of a certain kind of authority without necessarily a self reflection about one's own position and mm-hmm. uh, what makes that position possible yeah i mean i i do though remember a lot of like like when I was uh, in high school, there was what was called the Internet Society. <laughs> that was that was the name of a uh, <laughs> student group, <laughs> uh, and it was. I mean, it was basically populated primarily by people who, who were like, yeah, they, like, uh, certainly they were little dipshits. Certain, certainly they were not really <laughs> reflecting. Uh, they weren't really reflecting very well on how maybe they were part of the problem, but. In fairness, most of the people that were part of that, and I was a part of that group, although I'm not necessarily claiming uh, any kind of victimhood here, but like there was, there were a lot of people in that group who like who were treated relatively badly, like not necessarily by the the teachers, but by the other students and stuff. You know, there was kind of a sure. uh, an outcast vibe, uh, and 
And they weren't responsible for the shitty way they were being treated by their peers, really. I, I don't think. I think it'd be hard to argue Well, Joe, that. they made the decision to be part of a thing called the Internet Society. <laughs> so they deserve well, any bullying Well, another way to put got. it is they were, they were desperate enough to join a thing called the Internet Society. That's where they had to look for their uh, companionship. No, and I think that's... And that's that's one of the interesting things too about about like the movie hackers is that 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 playing up of a hacker community and it's something that that the mentor gets to as well especially towards the end. Mm. Um, I don't know if we want to you know take a look at that part. But. Well, I, I mean, I, I one thing before we get to that, I, I just do want to say like that this is kind of related is uh, to what we're just discussing is that like. I think this this incel vibe uh, that's sort of in in this part of the manifesto, like it's reflective of the fact that these people are relatively powerless, uh, or, or they perceive themselves as relatively powerless, perhaps. Um, and this is a way to obtain uh, a certain kind of power over others. Um, that article about the the guy who calls himself data rapist. Um, He's quoted as saying, I guess in some way, I'm into the power of it all. Since I'm not fortunate enough to be rich, it seems the only other way to have some type of clout in the world is to have information. Information is power, even more so than money. So like, you know, I mean, this is, I guess, redundant, you know, to what we were just talking about. But there's like an element of... uh, you know, especially if you think about it in the terms of of like a, a high school kid or even like a, a 20, 21 year old who doesn't have a lot of friends or something. This is a way to uh, obtain power in a world where you otherwise have relatively little. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, yeah, there is a sort of um, one of the things that like uh, Sos and I were kind of talking about the, the other day um, was just this a kind of question of like the the kind of person who would become uh, a hacker in, you know, the eighties or nineties, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that sort of, again, yeah. Kind of like isolated figure that's almost certainly a white male, uh, mm-hmm. but feeling, you know, feeling alienated, often feeling uh, powerless or not respected. And it's like what in sort of different eras, what does that, personality or position become right so we can see like in in a kind of current day it's you know much more likely to become like a yeah like an an incel to get into 4chan or you know some Mm -hmm. shit like that Mm -hmm. uh but i was trying to wonder like what what does what does that person do in like the 1950s or (laughs) in uh you know in in a previous mode like who is i don't know they they're basically like a you know, Jason Thompson in Sound and the Fury, maybe. Uh-huh. Mm. I, I I thought, like, when Eric and I were talking about that, I thought they would become, like, science nerds, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Like, a, a, another area of, like, privileged knowledge. They would, you know, get really good at chemistry or physics and, and, mm-hmm. and look yeah. down at the people who weren't. They, but, they, you know, that was like... The, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to say, they'd, they'd be, like, the, the science nerd, like, the who had like a chemistry set in his garage and would like try to make explosives or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. There, yeah. 
There was a quote you wanted to read, Eric. That that. Uh... Yeah, uh, let me find it here. Uh, this is actually just just after the part I had I had read before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it happened: a door opened to a world, rushing through the phone line like heroin through an addict's veins. An electronic pulse is sent out. A refuge from day-to-day incompetencies is sought. A board is found. This is it. This is where I belong. I know everyone here, even if I've never met them, never talked to them, may never hear from them again. I know you all. Damn kid, tying up the phone line again. They're all alike. Um, right, that that sense of like finding, again, like finding some kind of um, community or recognition in that, even if it's one that's uh, cloaked in in alter egos and is often ultimately, you know, individuals behind screens, not, you know, well, it's not also necessarily physically interacting. There's so much projection going on there because all you're seeing is screen names like Data Rapist or The Mentor. So they're not even people in any recognizable way so you just project yourself onto that you you think to yourself they must be me you know yeah they must be like me and and you it's it's this weird form of projection that makes you feel like you're part of a community and you interact with people and you have common interests and all but 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 a large part of those interactions is a is a, is a weird form of egocentrism going on you know where through through your interaction with others, you kind of become more comfortable with your own self as as a hacker or mm-hmm. something like that. Well, I, I mean that that egocentrism, as much as it's uh, clearly a risk, it's clearly a, a problem. It's also, you know, the the positive sides of hacking. Uh, the, the sort of like the reason, in, in my mind, uh, for example a lot of stuff that's been released by, by WikiLeaks, um, a lot of, uh, the kind of like hacktivist stuff. I mean, that, that requires anonymous. Yeah. Anonymous. Like that stuff requires ego. You don't do that because you don't, I mean, most, you got to have some guts to, to do that, that type of thing. Um, and so there is something to the, the ego, the, the cowboy, uh, element, uh, in, in all of that. Well, Joe, there's cowboys who wear black hats, and then there's cowboys <laughs> who wear white hats, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> As with with most things. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's another uh, little bit of the of the manifesto. And this gets into into sort of like the uh, the blind spots that, that Lloyd that Lloyd has. And and by the way, I think it's really funny. Like we start out this episode saying uh, uh, where, you know, we're not revealing much about who we are. And yet we've spent so much of the episode revealing who we are, uh, talking about our past and our childhoods. And, and, and uh-huh. that's the, you know, Lloyd brought it out of us. What can I say? Um, this is he's, our he's penetrating w- us even now. <laughs> yeah. He hacked us. <laughs> this is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch, the beauty of the bod. We make use of a service already existing without paying for what could be dirt cheap if it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons. And you call us criminals? We explore. 
You call us criminals? We exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias. And you call us criminals? We built a, you built atomic bombs. You wage wars. You murder. You cheat and lie to us and try to make us believe it's for our own good. Yet we're the criminals. And um, much like uh, the GNU Manifesto, uh, by the way, if you haven't listened to our episode on the GNU Manifesto, <laughs> you know, if you haven't listened to that, stop what you're doing right now. I don't We're care what it stop. is. Just stop. I don't care if you're breastfeeding your child. I don't care if you're defusing a bomb as you're listening to this. Just stop yeah. and go listen to that episode of Club Manifesto. Instead of five hours, it's seven hours now of your time that we're required. <laughs> it's worth it, though. It's worth it. If you do it, your life will be different in a better way. Mm-hmm. But um, much like the GNU Manifesto, there is a lot of like naive optimism about the utopia that computers could usher in and the internet could could provide. This whole idea of color blindness is obviously not correct, especially considering what we've already said about Lloyd and his privilege and the resources that one would need to access uh, uh, what he had access to in the 1970s and 80s. But um, uh, like a, not a lot of minorities and immigrants had time, money, or the opportunity to become a hacker. But there was this kind of uh, um, utopia that was imagined to be real on the internet. Like the internet made real something that couldn't be real in, in, in the world outside the internet. So I just wanted to know if, uh, if you, Eric, or Joe had any thoughts about this. Uh, I mean, I confess I actually don't know it about the demographics of, of hackers. Uh, I... I mean, I guess you, especially right now, I have no sense if there's uh, any kind of privilege associated with being a hacker. Maybe there was more um, in in that time. I don't know. Maybe Eric, do you know? Yeah. So um, I actually found a an article um, that kind of uh, dove into this. It was it was from like the the mid 2010s. So obviously, you know, we're talking 15, 20 years, um, you know, beyond. Uh, or 30 years, shit, I can't do math, uh, <laughs> beyond the, the time of this manifesto. Um, but it found that, like, they were, like, 98% male, um, overwhelmingly young, like, right, most under the age of 35. Uh, and in terms of, like, motivation, a lot of them either sort of did it for, for fun or for money. Um, mm-hmm. Either, like, designing software to steal money, uh, right, or force companies or individuals to kind of pay you back uh, to, to pay you off to get kind of control back of their systems. Um, but then there's also like companies that would co-opt hackers, right? Employ them in order to like test their own systems. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of ide- ideology is like rarely the kind of primary motivator. Um, unlike perhaps something like WikiLeaks or, um, you know, anonymous maybe to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, uh, the the degree to which technology has become less expensive and ha- the internet has opened out to 
uh, you know, way more people than it did in the 80s or 90s, that uh, the kind of barrier to entry to hacking is probably a lot lower. Uh, but then also the kind of systems you're, you know, probably encountering are far more sophisticated and difficult than, um, you know, than, than the ones that would have been faced by, uh, you know, by the mentor or, or people of his ilk. Uh, right. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I even think about, uh, to like when my, you know, parents bought that first computer from circuit city, that when I think about it now, I'm like, shit, that was, you know, that's, that's like a couple mortgage payments or something, uh, in nineties dollars. Like it's, uh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of investment. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it was certainly a different kind of, uh, economic stratum. And one also that probably would have been, uh, limited in terms of the the kinds of countries and populations that would have been able to do it back then versus um, versus now. Yeah, I mean, and what we definitely do know is that the you know the utopia, if there was any kind of utopia envisioned, uh, we have not seen it yet. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, I mean, I, I was looking earlier, like uh, Bill Gates, you know, was uh, was busted for hacking when he was fifteen. Um, when I think of like hacking, I also think of the, uh, sort of ethos of Silicon Valley. It's all about, you know, breaking rules and stuff that has, you know, yeah, sure. There've been a lot of, uh, barriers broken, but it's not like they've been broken in some way that's, that's led to, uh, color blindness or, or like everything's, <laughs> everything's great across the board. Yeah. The rules uh, that Silicon Valley wants to break are government regulations. Those are the only fucking mm, rules they want to break. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean that you break the government regulations because you just you've got to, you know, you got to cut through the bullshit to get, uh, you know, to get to a better world or something. Right. I mean, that's literally what they say. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we're living in their better world right now. <laughs> yeah, it's so uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we should not lose. I think I, I think we should not totally lose fact that uh, the fact that some of what these people are doing are just trying to have. Uh, a good time, entertain themselves. Um, and it seems to me like a lot of this is related to like eavesdropping or like playing pranks, you know, the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, basically kids enjoy doing. Um, so just one, uh, the, the reason I keep mentioning this article for about this, this, uh, guy from the nineties data rapist who was a, he was actually affiliated with frack, the, the, um, the e-zine where the hacker manifesto was published I, I keep mentioning it because i think it gives like a little bit of insight into what hacking was actually like uh, at that time um but he, what he uh explains in this article is that he's basically into kind of just like listening into random conversations he's got the a scanner that picks up cell phone conversations in his living room. uh, And he has just been recording like what he calls like funny tapes of uh, people uh, saying shit to 911. And so this article says that when the statute of limitations runs out, he and his cohorts plan to put the tapes together in CD form. Some are of 911 phone calls, other of private conversations, Still others of simple simple juvenile harassment. He says, quote, 
One 911 tape is about a guy who hits a deer in the road and thinks it's dead, so he puts it in his car, then it wakes up and bites him in the back of the neck. <laughs> Another. <laughs> Man, I, uh, I, is, is, has the statutes of limitation run out? I'd like to listen to I don't to know. Yeah I, I, yeah, I should look. Maybe I can find it. We'll put it in the podcast. <laughs> Uh, another is from a mother calling about her little boy who has his penis stuck in a plastic toy elephant. <laughs> so. Anyway, I mean, these guys are just having fun. That's what I'm saying. Who, whom amongst us? Yeah. <laughs> quote we have here uh in in from from lloyd's manifesto is um is as follows yes i am a criminal my crime is that of curiosity my crime is that of judging people by what they say and think not what they look like my crime is that of outsmarting you something that you will never for- forgive me for I am a hacker, and this is my manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. It's a little vague who he's talking to here, but I guess it's anyone with authority in general. He's talking to the man. The line, my crime is outsmarting you, something that you will never forgive me for, is 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 my favorite line in the whole manifesto and 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 this is the one that's most true he's right anyone who's ever watched a youtube video of a sovereign citizen trying to outsmart a police officer knows that authority what authority hates most is being proven wrong by a civilian mm-hmm. and we're taught from a y- very young age that deference to authority is very important Anyone who starts a job is greeted with euphemisms like, you have to pay your dues before things get good. Translate, you have to act like a little sniveling bitch. <laughs> and who, who wants that? That's, that's the translation. <laughs> that's the translation, yes. <laughs> Google Translate <laughs> gave me that. And, and, and who wants that? You suck it up like a man. You tell yourself you got to do this for your family, and then you go home and hit your kids. Am I right? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that, well, that, uh, that ends the Sosa stand-up portion of the, <laughs> of the episode. The, I mean, I think the, the, the flip side of that, right, though, that the kind of appeal for, you know, the mentor uh, for hackers of, right, having a computer that just does what you want it to do right of which you are the master and um right and then if we wanted to do a kind of like vulgar psychoanalytic reading of this which you know i i uh, am always for 
right? Yeah, that go it's for like it. it's like is and and that certainly the the handle uh, data rapist you know mm-hmm. points to is like it's um, hacking is about a kind of like desire to to penetrate and to dominate an unwilling victim, right? To mm-hmm. to master them. And so there's a, when we think of that like relation to incels, there's a strong sort of uh, similarity and disposition. And, um, right, and especially for people, uh, as you say, on the one hand, are in certain positions of privilege, but then might also be, you know, in their kind of material surroundings, right? Being bullied at school or feeling powerless or, um, or disrespected in other ways. Like this is their, their means of, of, of getting a certain kind of power of, of not yielding to that authority. Um, Mm -hmm. right. But the fact that it like even engages in those terms, right. And that, that it always seems like it's a, it's a struggle and even if there is a kind of collective action, it's only a collective action amongst individuals engaged in that kind of individual <laughs> struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not, there's no, there's no kind of alternative ways of, uh, of being on display. Uh, yeah. And if, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little difficult to like really feel like you're going to be engaged with collective action. If your whole goal is you're outsmarting everyone around you, uh, you, you're the smartest person in the room. Like that, that, that does not necessarily like facilitate uh, kind of a collective a will to, to change things. Yeah, it's a kind of um, collective identity that's contradictory because it's not about collective action because you're not acting in unison towards something unless uh, unless you are some an an entity like anonymous or or. Um, WikiLeaks or that 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 kind of relies on hackers and hacking culture in that way, even though WikiLeaks is a is a journalistic institution. But the um, the collective of individuals is is united by ideology. That kind of like it's a, it's a kind of cultural identity that's that's not strictly defined it's just a bunch of people who are who are better than others in the in the world of 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 computers and and it's so so it's this weird collectivism that that doesn't that's not really united in collective action it's a it's a bunch of individuals who subscribe to the same code and 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 they all and they're united in that way, which is a very interesting form of collectivism because you can't, what that means is that that collective can't unite into a political action. You, you all are doing your own thing. You're following the same code. You believe the same things like, like a kind of culture or whatever, but you're never going to unite together and, 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 and sort of change society and make sacrifices and, and have this uh, a grand goal that you're all moving towards. You just have a grand code, not a grand goal, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, you know, to, to circle around to Marx, which is always my, my one of my favorite uh, go-tos, is that they're, they're like the sort of, um, you know, uh, as, as Marx uh, 
sort of described the the peasantry and why the peasantry would never become a kind of revolutionary class, right? Is that mm. he basically described them? They're like a they're like a sack of potatoes, mm. right? They're they're so in their sort of material existences, right? They're like these kind of isolated people. So even if they can on the one hand, sort of recognize that there's all these other potatoes that are in the same position, yeah. right? They don't, um, it, it's not like the, the worker who's, you know, uh, part of a crew in a factory and, uh, you're constantly like that, that shared sense of condition is just so immediate. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a um, bunch of potatoes who, who can never dream of becoming a French fry. You know, just another form <laughs> of potato existence. That's impossible yeah. for them. They don't know. Just one, one more potato stuck being a sniveling little bitch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all you can all you can do is prove that you're the best fucking potato in the sack, yeah. and that all those other potatoes are uh, they're twice baked, they're mashed, they're not. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure all those twice baked potatoes think they're the best one too. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, well, I think we have we've reached the the end of the manifesto, and we're probably probably pretty near the the end of the episode. But uh, uh, want to thank you, Eric, for for coming up with the the uh, idea or, or being aware of this manifesto. Are there any other so like closing uh, thoughts? Anything else you? Uh, you felt like was uh, sort of critically important here. Ooh, um, I mean, no, no pressure. The one, I think, the one thing I'd, I'd I'd sort of toss on there, right, is uh, that hacking seems to involve the sort of like pleasure of transgression without any kind of physical jeopardy, right? Like the sort of mm-hmm. difference between um, hacking into a bank's computer system to like steal funds versus showing up at a physical branch with a gun to try to rob it. Mm -hmm. And, and that the way in which hacking gets treated legally, um, as a sort of, you know, as kind of functionally a white collar crime in a lot of ways that, uh, that, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a kind of, um, playful transgression without without that kind of physical danger that other kinds of of acts if you're kind of you know inclined to uh you know play pranks or to um to do something criminal don't you know don't involve mm-hmm. yeah i mean in fairness there have been a lot more uh really incredible action movies made out of bank robberies than hacking. uh, uh, Either way. Uh, Wait, thank you, uh, Eric, for, for doing the podcast Um, again. Yeah. And, and for being aware of the, of of the manifesto and stuff. Uh, You got You got anything to plug? Uh, No, (laughs) go read read Marx. Go read. uh, You want to plug all the fucking potatoes, man. Yeah. (laughs) nice awesome all right well all right yeah thanks again and uh again club manifesto 420 club manifesto 420 at gmail.com yes email us any fans out there we is anyone listening hello anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks a lot eric all right thanks guys